All right, we are in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're continuing the study uh, of the covenant that God makes with David. Uh, And it's an incredible lesson for you as to how God looks on those people who follow him with favor. And you know, as we studied that last week, uh, we saw that God has told David that he will not be allowed to build the temple. Uh, You'll not be allowed to build the temple because you have blood on your hands. You have been a warrior king. Your son will build the temple, but you will not build the temple. And we saw how David accepted that, accepted that, not with, and without resentment, recognizing that he bowed to the sovereignty of God. And we, and we spoke about what, what that means for us, because so many times things happen in our life, uh, and God's will is displayed in our lives, perhaps in ways that do not please us, and we get angry at God. And if someone had an opportunity to be angry at God at that point, I would think it would have been David. You know, God, I served you. I've followed you. I've done everything that you wanted. I, I, I didn't raise my hand against Saul because he was your, your anointed for 15 years. And now when it comes time, for, I brought the ark into Jerusalem and you won't let me build the temple? Gosh, that seems so unfair. Uh, and yet you see him giving us the example of a godly man bowing to the will of God, submitting to God. Uh, And I gave you that as a life lesson to demonstrate how in every aspect of your life, you need to ask God, what is your will for me? What is your will for me? Uh, And people say to me, well, do do you really uh, think God will speak back to you? And the answer is yes, he will when when you ask him, to demonstrate it by opening doors and closing doors. God will do that. He acknowledges these prayers. Uh, And that's why, as we get into the day two experience in our life, that we have a continual prayer opportunity with God. The day two experience is constantly communicating to God, thanking Him, asking Him to uh, illumine you, asking for wisdom, asking for peace, praying for other people. And you're doing this all day long. And as you do this, you're asking him, Lord, demonstrate your will for me. Show me your will, and he will show you your will, his will. And then the question is, are you abiding in his will? Do you follow it, or do you ignore it and still do your own thing? And so we see that uh, in the life of David. And so one of the things that, that uh, is so blessed in this uh, teaching is the fact that God makes a covenant with David. And this is one of the truly unique covenants in all the Bible. Uh, God made a covenant with Abraham that was unconditional. And that covenant with Abraham is, I, your people will be uh, like the sand on the sea. They will be my people. They will be the chosen people. That was an unconditional uh, covenant. Uh, Mosaic, there was a Mosaic covenant where God promised them that they would be blessed, that he would bless them in so many ways if if they followed God, if they obeyed God. That was a conditional covenant, and you know that they did not follow God. Uh, They did not heed to the commandments, and so in that sense, then, they broke the covenant. I'm distinguishing that from what I call unconditional covenants. The Davidic covenant is unconditional, meaning... Because of who you are, because of who you represent, your kingdom will last through eternity. 
all right? And we're going to talk about that today to get an idea of what, what it is when, when God did that to David, how important that is for us even today. And so uh, he promises, if you look again at, at the seventh chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, uh, first of all, verse 8, this is what the Lord God Almighty says, I took you from the pasture and from following the flock, to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men of the earth. Wow. Wow, what a promise that is. Like the greatest men in the earth. I will make your men great. I remember when you were a shepherd. I called you out of the pasture. I looked at your heart. I saw the love that you had for me. And you see how God judges God judges your heart. Now, David is going to commit some horrendous sins. Horrendous sins. And we're going to get into that next week. Uh, and, and that's one of the darkest pages in the Bible. Really dark pages in the Bible where David will have an affair with Bathsheba. Uh, and as a result of that affair, he will effectively get involved in murdering her husband, Uriah the Hittite, and, and it, is a, it was a really unseemly matter, despicable matter, and yet, you see, God did not break the covenant. He did not break the covenant. Uh, because why? Because David went to God and begged for forgiveness in broken heart. Lord, forgive me for what I have done. Uh, Lord, forgive me. And that is, to me, this is the paradigm of what we should be. Every one of us here is going to sin. Every one of us is going to sin. Uh, I had a lady in my Sunday class about uh, uh, two months ago when I said that some of us start sinning before we put our feet on the ground when we get out of bed. Before we get out of bed, we've already sinned. I'm talking to 250 men here. You know what I'm talking about. All right? And she said to me, you know, she said, and a well-meaning woman, you know, you said that, that you, you sin even before you get out of bed. Well, what, what power of the Holy Spirit is there in your life that can't keep you from sinning? I said, dear sister, dear sister, dear sister, if you do not recognize that you are a sinning machine, then God has not fully illuminated your heart. Really, uh, because otherwise we develop the spirit of the Pharisee, right? The Pharisee who stood there in the corner of the temple and looked out and said, I thank you, God, that I am not like that man. I thank you, God. And here's the thing. As long as you carry around this flesh, you are going to sin. Flat out. I don't care who you are. You could be Billy Graham. You don't think Billy Graham goes through issues like this? Seriously. You will be a sinner. But here's the thing. We have the antidote to that. And the antidote is that is that the Holy Spirit is in your heart. And now he convicts you. All right? So that even as you have these thoughts, all right, these unseemly thoughts, or your mouth says things that you shouldn't say, or your lips respond in a way that you shouldn't. That as soon as you say it, you are convicted by the Holy Spirit. And, 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 when, and then you bow before God. Father, forgive me. Lord, I shouldn't have said that. Lord, I feel bad. Father, I'm sorry I sinned. And this is how it's supposed to be. 
You understand? This is the way it was with David. So if you think that you get to a spot in your life where you're no longer going to sin, you are sadly mistaken. But here's the thing. As we walk with Jesus, the kinds of sins we do are different. All right? You're not robbing a bank. You're not robbing a bank. You're not mugging people on the street. But is it possible you gossip? Is it possible you slander? Is it possible you lust? And don't answer or raise your hand. (laughs) But you see, the point is that as you walk with Jesus, the Holy Spirit suddenly opens your mind, and now you recognize these sins that before passed by and had no content at all in terms of touching your heart. You could slander or gossip with the best of them, all right? But now, now you're conscious of it. As you begin to say something about somebody, all of a sudden you have a check in your spirit. And that's what I love about David. And this is what God wants from us. God knows you're going to sin. Now, we don't, we don't go and openly plan to sin. We don't, we don't plan to do evil things. Because if we did that, then that's a sin in and of itself. That we're violating the grace of God that he's given us. But within the the fact that we walk in an evil world, we're going to be tempted by things, God recognizes that we're going to sin. That's why Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. All right? Let's understand this. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples because he said to them, you are clean, but your feet still need to be washed. You've had a bath but your feet still need to be washed. Meaning what? Meaning you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, but even as you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, Peter, you're still walking in an evil world, and dirt comes up on you, and you need to be cleaned. And that's the example that you see here with David. Yes, he had warts. Yes, he had problems. Yes, he would sin, but he would come to God with a broken spirit. Father, forgive me. And that's the greatest thing about what we have as Christians. Grace, unmerited mercy. God pours that into our hearts someplace where you know that God will forgive you. He will forgive you. And when he forgives you, he forgets. It's not like we do. You know, I hear people saying, well, I've forgiven so-and-so, but I have not forgotten. You know that. I have not forgotten. I've forgiven them because I'm a Christian. But I haven't forgotten. Well, effectively what that means is you have not forgiven. Okay? Because if you truly forgive the way God forgives, then, then your, your, your sin is as far as the east is from, from the west. And so you see here God promising David, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make, and it's interesting, even as God is making this, don't you think God knew he had the foreknowledge to know what David would do? He knew that David was about Uh, in the next stage of his life, was about to do something ruinous, get involved with Bathsheba, uh, kill Uriah. You don't think God knew that? He knew that, and yet even before that happened, God saw that, and yet he saw the heart of David and said, you will be within the lineage of Jesus Christ. Your kingdom will last forever. So here is this incredible story of this man who winds up as a, starts off as a shepherd, 
all right? And, and when he lines up with his other brothers, because the prophet Samuel is going to pick the next king of Israel, and, and, and he, the prophet looks at the first six brothers, each one was a giant, massive guy, looked like a king, and, and finally David wasn't there because he was out tending sheep, and he says to Jesse, well, where is there anybody else? Because God keeps telling me this is not the one. Well, yeah, there's one more. There's a shepherd. Bring him out. And as soon as he came in, God said, this is the one. This is the one. I see his heart. Oh, God, you see my heart, Lord. I pray that as, the, as you walk with the Lord, that you will develop a greater love for God, a greater love for Jesus in every way, the most profound love possible. Because as we do this, as we walk with him and love him more, and submit to him more, you recognize that everything that you have, everything that you are, is his. And what a difference that makes in your life. Uh, and, and I want to encourage you about this, because I know that some of you may find yourselves going through anxiety, not sure what, what, what your next step will be in life. And here's the thing, when you give it over to God, when you make this statement to God on the day two venture of your life with him, when you do that, you have the assurance and guarantee that he will direct your paths. You have the assurance. So you don't have to care now, am I making the right decision or the wrong decision? The question is, did you pray about it? Because if you prayed about it and he opened the door, then you are where he wants you to be. But if you have chosen things without praying about it, then you have no assurance. You have no assurance. Only when you, when you put it to God and ask God for the, for the wisdom uh, as, as his child. That's the lesson here with David. Now, the other thing that, that we see in, in verse 10 of this chapter is that God says that during the dynasty of David, uh, during the kingship of David, he will make it a secure homeland for the people, verse, uh, verses 10 to 11. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people, Israel. Now look at all the years that had gone by uh, that, that they had been in captivity. They'd been in captivity 400 years uh, uh, under Pharaoh. 400 years they, they were slaves. And then they came out and they wandered the desert for 40 years. And now they come in, uh, they come into the promised land, but there's a people, there's time going by here where they still have not getting established really as a country. It's now, right about the year 1000 uh, BC, uh, that, that God is really now establishing them in their homeland. And so you see this. Um, and, and so the kingdom before David had, David had been insecure. They had been attacked by enemies from all sides. But now God is promising, as he's made this covenant with David, that he will protect them, he will give them peace, he will give them security. Verse 11, And I, I will also give you rest from all your enemies. I will give you rest. The entire time that Saul was king, he was in battles. The entire times. He never had any peace at no time. But now God is promising David, I will give you peace. I, I will protect you from your, from your enemies. And so now we get uh, to the promise by God of what I call the perpetual throne for David's descendants. 
the perpetual throne. You will have a royal dynasty. This will be forever. And so these uh, three promises constitute a tremendous blessing that will be experienced by David uh, and his people. But the next three promises talk about what God will grant David's descendants, the future, and how they will bring incredible blessings to the people of Israel. First, in verse 11, a dynasty, a dynasty. Uh, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. That's verse 11. Uh, The term house in Hebrew has a double meaning, as it does in both Greek and English, meaning it's a material house, but also a metaphysical spiritual house, meaning that David would have, obviously, the palace where he would reside, but in a much broader sense, God would create a spiritual house, a dynastic house, a kingdom. Next, verses 12 through 13. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. So there it is. Your children, your son will come after you. I will raise him up uh, and he will succeed you and he will build the temple. He is the one who will build the temple. Uh, And so now God is speaking to David about his natural descendants, in particular one of his own sons. This promise would become fulfilled when Solomon, a son not yet born, Solomon, the second son of David and Bathsheba, how do you like that? The second son of David and Bathsheba, that son would build the temple. And then in verse 13, and this is one you can underline because this is really where God drills it home when you see how magnificent uh, uh, our God is. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 13. This is the final and amazing provision of the covenant. Uh, It is in a kingdom that will last forever. And now you have an unconditional covenant. All right? Irrespective of how the descendants act. Irrespective. I am making this covenant with you. And most dynasties that we study historically may last a few centuries at most. But here, the kingdom that God promises will be eternal. Now, you're smart people. When you recognize that God says it will be eternal, you recognize that the only way it can be eternal is if the divinity is invested in the dynasty. And the only way that dynasty could be eternal is if Jesus Christ is intertwined into that dynasty. And what you will see as we study this is that the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself, comes out of the root of Jesse, that's David's father, comes out of the root of Jesse in Bethlehem and will rule forever on the throne of David. Dear Lord, what an amazing gift that you would do that to a man, that you would see the heart of a man, even the man who would have all these these, these warts, you could see it. Uh, and, and so uh, it's amazing. And if you look at Psalm 18, take a look at that, Psalm 18, well, which speaks about this covenant. Verse 46, Psalm 18, verse 46. He, the Lord lives. 
Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, my Savior. He is the God who avenges me, who subdues nations under me, who saves me from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes from violent men. You rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you among the nations, O Lord. I will sing praises to your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. How's that for a confirmation of everything that I've just told you, uh, uh, indicating that God has made this promise to David forever? Uh, and there's some other important uh, scriptural references I want you to ret- uh, turn to that give some evidence of this. Turn to Isaiah chapter 11, if you would. Now, this is a passage that's written about 700 years B.C. So David now would have been dead almost 300 years. All right? 200 years, let's call it. And, and look at this prophetic statement. This is Isaiah Uh, But this is God speaking through Isaiah, verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots. A branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, or, de- or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. Amen? And you understand, you see the prophecy of who Jesus would be, of how he would come to this world, uh, even as a child, and what that kingdom would be out of the root of Jesse. Look also while you're in Isaiah. Look at Isaiah chapter 9. Thank you. Look at verse 6. Now, these words were used by Handel, George Frederick Handel, when he wrote The Messiah. He took these words and put it to music. But I want you to understand the prophetic nature of what this is. So this is all indicating that David, David would be in the line of Jesus. And now we're talking about Jesus here within that line. Verse 6, for, us, for to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness, from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen? What powerful words. The confirmation that this is exactly what's going to happen. 300 years later, God's speaking through Isaiah the prophet that that's right. A child will come. He will lead them. 
And the, he will be wonderful counselor, mighty God. He will sit as God on the throne of David. All right? And he did, and he came, and he's coming back. He's coming back. And so this is important for you as men of God. You sit here and we study and we see how God treated David, how he confirmed this covenant with him and promised him. And yet you understand how these promises pertain to Israel today. All right? You understand how these promises pertain to Israel today. You want to be on the side of defending Israel. God is not finished with Israel. He's not finished with the Jewish people. There's more to come. And when God comes back, and he will come back, the place that he's going to come back to is in Mount, on the Mount of Olives right there in Jerusalem. That's where he's going to come back. Uh, and you're going to see mighty things take place. And so this is an amazing prophecy that to me makes the, the hair on the back of my neck come up. And so even then as God, even then as God makes this promise to David, even as he makes these promises and makes this unconditional covenant, and now, David, you are going to be, your dynasty is going to last forever. It will be the one lasting, everlasting dynasty in the history of Israel because Jesus Christ will be the final king. But now God says to David, but I will discipline you and your children. Look at verses uh, 14 to 16 in chapter seven, uh, 7 as well. These, these verses spell out a terms of the everlasting kingdom. David and his descendants don't get a blank check to do whatever they want without reprimand. God is still there. God is judging. God will act towards them as a father. And as God will act towards David and his descendants as a father, God acts towards us as a father. Uh, but there is an exception here. And in this particular time, God will treat David's descendants as his special sons. Look at verse 14. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. What does it mean? It means this, that they would be punished when they were outside of God's will, that God would use other nations, other people, to, to establish his, his uh, uh, punishment. He would do this. Uh, and so you see this, and God does this. And so when God inflicts his punishment, he will often use other people other countries, other entities. And so even when you're going through some difficult times, you have to ask God, Lord, is this some punishment that you're putting into my life? Am I being, am I being punished for something I did wrong? You speak to God. You talk to God about that because he does it here with David's descendants and says that. And you know, when you study, when you study what's happening here with Israel, one of the things you learn is that shortly after this uh, Isaiah prophecy, they will be invaded and Israel will be destroyed. The Babylonians will come in, and they will pretty much take all of the uh, elite, talented Jewish boys and bring them to Babylon. Uh, Israel would be destroyed as a nation. It would be non-existent, and the exile would take place for a good hundred years. 
uh, until then, uh, God would allow the walls of Israel to be rebuilt. Uh, and so uh, God, God does that. But he punishes them. You don't get a blank check. You don't live a wanton life. And you know we see that in David, and we're going to study that in David, that you're going to see that David had continual problems within his family. You know that the child that he conceived with, with Bathsheba will die. He will sit there and he will beg God to heal that child, to forgive him, and God's judgment was no. No, that child, that child was taken. That child died. And then you're going to see later on that there will be a revolt in the palace of the king, and Absalom, his son, will revolt against David and seek to take the kingdom away from David, his own son, and David will have to go to war, uh, and his own generals will turn against him and side with Absalom until finally God strikes Absalom down when Absalom will be riding on a horse. He had long hair. He was an exceptionally attractive man, uh, and his hair got caught in a branch, and he, and he got hung. How do you like that? All right? A long arm of God. Uh, and so uh, you, you see this. Um, and and uh, one of the things that I, that, I, that I read is turn to Proverbs chapter, Proverbs 3, chapter, uh, verse 11, because I want you to understand how we as men need to understand the rebuke of God. What do we do when all of a sudden it seems like there's some darkness in our lives? We're wondering, Lord, are you speaking to me, Father? And you see here it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. God, he loves you. He wants you to be the best man you can be. He wants you to be a paradigm of what God expects us as men of God. And sometimes that means he has to use a rod. And we talked about this just as you had fathers that, that punished you growing up. You didn't, you didn't fall out of love with your father, even, even when it hurt. And so you see that. And so God will not reject David's dynasty because one of his descendants sins or that David himself sins. He will punish him severely, but he will not remove uh, him from kingship as he did with Saul. Why? Because God saw the heart of David. And this is important to understand this. And so the result of this covenant is rather remarkable. Uh, the kingdom split under Solomon. Uh, there became a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Uh, and the southern kingdom is Judah. Uh, and, and so that southern kingdom experienced just a single dynasty through the approximate 400 years between David and the final exile to Babylon. How do you like that? 400 years of peace until finally it's broken uh, and David's last relative sat on the throne. Well, David's last physical relative sat on the throne. But through Jesus Christ, that covenant will last forever. And so the question becomes this. Well, well and, and some naysayers could say, well, wait a second. Now look, now, now the Jewish people uh, are destroyed. Israel is no more. Uh, and we will be in exile for 100, 100, 150 years. Some Jews will never go back. Some Jews will never go back to Israel. Daniel's one of those Jewish boys that never went back. He stayed in Babylon. Now he rose to be prime minister, but he never went back. And there were many others that never went back. So the question is, did, did, did this promise fail? Take a look, if you would, at Psalm 89, because it poses this very question. 
that somebody obviously was troubled about. Uh, and here's one of those psalms. So here's a psalm, obviously written during the dark days, seeing this and wondering, is, is, there really, is God really in charge? Psalm 89, verse 35. Take a look at that. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David, that his line will continue forever, and his throne endure me before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. But you have rejected, you have spurned, you have been very angry with your anointed one. You have renounced the covenant with your servant and have defiled his crown in the, in the dust. You see this? It's almost as if it's a one-on-one. -on -one. You have become angry. You have become uh, disgusted with, with the, the dynasty. And now you, you have reviled them. You have dispersed them. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. Oh, no, I have not. I haven't renounced the covenant. There's no such truth. Look at verse 46. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? I want you to imagine that you're in exile. You're in exile. You had read the promises. You had seen the prophecies. And now you're in exile. You're in Babylon. All right? You're far away from your homeland. Everything that you call dear is gone forever. And, you're so, and so now you're wondering, did God forget me? Did God forget his promises? Has he abandoned his people? And here's the answer. No, never. Unconditional promise. There is no change in God. He is immutable. And so he makes that promise forever. And so you've seen this here. Uh, uh, and it, to me, it is so amazing. And then, and then if you look at Jeremiah, uh, if you look at Jeremiah, you will, you will again, and this is Jeremiah, Again, during this period of time, you will see that now uh, there's wisdom coming in because God is making it very clear that he did not renounce. And so just as God had now, now re not renounced his covenant, uh, as he clearly spoke to the prophet Jeremiah, who lived during the period of the last Davidic kings, this is right before the Babylonian uh, exile, the fulfillment was sure, but would it last into the future? Would the covenant last into the future? And so the promise, the promise is again reiterated in Jeremiah chapter 33. Turn to it, please. As you see, this amazing dialogue here between God and those people who are looking to see if, in fact, the promises have been uh, revoked. Jeremiah 33, verse 14. The days are coming, declares the Lord, and this is right before the exile. The days are coming declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah, verse 15. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Now, who do you think the prophet is talking about? Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. Just as they're about to be going to be put into exile, just as God knows that the Babylonians are at the gate, that everything is going to be torn apart, God is saying, one more time, I know the promise I have made. I know the covenant I have made. It will be made forever. Jeremiah 33, verse 17. 
For this is what the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. Nor will the priests who are Levites ever fail to have a man to stand before me continually to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, to present sacrifices. How can this be? It can be only because Jesus Christ will follow on the throne forever. And you see this incredible promise by God. And you understand immediately how Jesus is the Messiah. And here's the thing. Think of the Jewish people who have these writings, who have these prophets, and yet despite all of that, despite all of that, when Jesus entered stage right, they walked off stage left. You understand? Now imagine what the heart of God is like, even as he made those promises and made those covenants forever. Uh, continuing on, verse 19, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that day and night no longer come at their appointed time. I love, the, I love how God speaks. So if you can break my covenant that there's a sun, all right, and that the sun sets, that there's daylight, followed by darkness, if you can break that promise that I've made, if you can do that, then verse 21, then my covenant with David, my servant, and my covenant with the Levites who are priests ministering before me can be broken. And David will no longer have a descendant to reign on his throne. Oh God, what a powerful statement. Indicating I will never break it. There will always be a son. I have put the sun there, and just as I have put the sun there and allowed daylight to come before darkness and set this world uh, on its spinning axis, and and I'm in control of everything, that covenant will never be broken, and just like I will never break that promise, I will never break this promise with David. Verse 22, I will make the descendants of David my servant and the Levites who minister before me as countless as the stars of the sky and as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Oh, God, what an incredible, incredible covenant with David. Um, And then uh, look at uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, and you see again the confirmation of who will be sitting on the throne of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And so you see it. You see this, this promise by God uh, of, of what he will do uh, for David. And so how that, again, comes back to us today. And so you know that Jesus is within the line of David, that Jesus will reign forever, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and all those promises come, come to, to speak, come to uh, each other. And so then uh, other Jewish prophets have spoken on this issue as well. Daniel spoke of a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It will never be destroyed. Uh, later, D- Daniel shared his vision of the Son of Man that Jesus referred to as to himself. And now Daniel is speaking about Jesus. 
And this is important to understand that you get a concept of who Jesus is and how Jesus fits in. This is why we study the Bible. This is why we study the Old Testament. Don't let anybody ever say to you, you don't need to study the Old Testament. The New Testament covers it all. The New Testament is laid on the very foundation of the Old Testament. There is one Bible, okay? Every single chapter of this Bible, all of the, all of the uh, books of the Old Testament are infused with Jesus Christ throughout. And that is how God wanted us. He wanted us to know this. Look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. And now you have Daniel who's sitting there in exile, in exile, cut off, brought out of Israel when he was a teenager, brought to Babylon into a strange country, and yet God gave him incredible wisdom. Look at what he says here. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Underline that, a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is a Jewish boy sitting in exile in Babylon that God has given this this vision to, understanding this is where this is headed. And now the question is, son of man, son of man, do you think Jesus recognized this? Turn to Matthew 26. And this is for those critics who say, that really the Old Testament is fables, uh, myths. Uh, And all I would say to you uh, folks is if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was resurrected and defeated death, if Jesus Christ cites the Old Testament, and he did it often, referring to Adam, referring to Abraham, referring to Moses, referring to Jonah, uh, and now referring, look at this verse, Matthew 26, verse 64. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Where do you think Jesus got that statement about son of man? He he got that statement because he knew that God the Father had given that very clause to Daniel, referring to Jesus himself, that Jesus Christ, fully divine and yet fully human, would be the very son of man. He would be the son of man. And so there it is, you see it, that Jesus himself would refer to that. And so this is a covenant that will last forever. As I said to you, there are other covenants in the Bible that that are, are effectively referenced by conditionality. This is unconditional. This is forever. You can take this to the bank. That's what he promised David. And we have that promise today. And so you see the heart of God, that if God can treat a man who had warts, who had warts, who would sin, who would fall, 
but yet a man who would have God and say, Lord, forgive me, Father. I love you. Don't, don't take this, this gift away from me. Don't, don't take this relationship away from me, that God would honor that, and he would lift him up, and he could do the same thing for us today. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that you've given us. I thank you for this lesson. Lord, I thank you for this paradigm of, of David, this man, Lord, who loved you, whose heart was true, who cared for you. Yes, he would fail. Yes, he had warts. But at the same time, Lord, you saw his heart. And as you saw his heart, irrespective of the sin, because he was a man who was brokenhearted and asked for forgiveness, you forgave him. And so we do that now, Lord. We ask you that you wash our feet, that you allow us to be servants within the kingdom, that you allow us to be used, that you bless our lives, Father, as we follow you. Be with our men. Protect them this week, wherever they go, and bring them back next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you.